Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everybody. I'm, we're, I'm coming to you live from my New York City hotel room. It's Wednesday night. It's time for Friends in Fiction, and we are really looking to forward to tonight. We have a twofer, so let's get started. You are? <laughs> Wait. No, your name. Your name. Oh, I'm, I'm Mary St. <laughs> <Kay> Andrews. <laughs> it's an auspicious beginning. I am Kellyanne <laughs> Henry. I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I was going to say, and I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and this is Friends in Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> New York Times bestselling author. Endless <laughs> stories and to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we are welcoming Laura Zygman and Elle Cosimano. And we've also got an amazing surprise for you tonight later in the show. So don't budge. We are going to be doing a cover reveal of NKA's super secret upcoming Christmas book. We have already seen Mary Kay's cover because we're we're special like that. <laughs> um, and I promise it is worth the wait. I can't wait for y'all to see it. So exciting. In the meantime, don't forget, you know that we're always encouraging you to support those independent booksellers. And one way that you can do that is to visit our Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page. You can find Laura's and Elle's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount. And I know that you know we are not just live here on Wednesday nights on the show and on YouTube. We also have a podcast that comes out every Friday and it is called Writer's Block. And if you aren't listening, you are missing out. We will always post links under the announcements every Friday when a new one drops. On our most recent episode, Ron and I talked to Armando Lucas Carrera about his novel, The Night Travelers. And then coming out this Friday, Meg and Ron interviewed Susan Stokes Chapman with her novel, Pandora. So listen, review, subscribe, all the things. All right, ladies, let's introduce our first guest, Laura Zygmunt. Yeah, Laura is the author of several novels, including Separation Anxiety, Dating Big Bird, and Piece of Work. Her novel, Animal Husbandry, was made into a movie, Someone Like You, starring Hugh Jackman, boom, 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 yeah. <laughs> and Ashley Judd. And she has also ghostwritten and collaborated on several works of nonfiction, including Eddie Izzard's New York Times bestseller, Believe Me. Hmm. Laura has been a contributor to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Huffington Post. Her new novel, Small World, was just released last week, and Elizabeth Egan in Sunday's New York Times book review called it a brave and heartfelt book of truths. That's awesome. Sean, can you bring Laura on? Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi. 
We are so thrilled to have you with us tonight. We know that Small World is about the Mellishman sisters, newly divorced middle-aged sisters who move in together and try to make sense of all that was missing from their childhood. But there's so much more to this novel. Could you give us some clues about what the book is really about? Yeah. First of all, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, the book is about, two, as you just gave an overview, two divorced middle-aged sisters, um, childless, who move in together for the first time since they were kids. I mean, since they were, you know, college age. Um, one sister lives in Cambridge and one sister lives on the West Coast. And it's the West Coast sister, Lydia, the older sister, who moves back to uh, Boston after a really long time. And um, the younger sister, Joyce, suggests on the phone, you know, hey, feel free to move in with me while you get your bearings. And she certainly didn't think that Lydia would stay for almost a year. But they move in together and there's, you know, so much humor to mine if you're a sibling, if you have a sister, especially if you have a sister, um, and I do. Um, there's so much potential, uh, there was so much potential humor to mine about what that would be like if, if you know, you and your adult sibling lived together now. Um, but then there was so much to mine in terms of the past. And so they had a very um, difficult childhood. They had a middle sister, Eleanor, who had been born um with uh, cerebral palsy and a severe seizure disorder. And she lived at home until she was nine and then she was institutionalized when she was 10 and she died at 10. So they never quite talked about it very much. Their mother was very focused on Eleanor. And so they grew up kind of feeling on the margins of the family. So needless to say, they have a lot of issues. Wow. <laughs> That's what it's really about, a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this was a, it was a fascinating book. Um, but there is an autobiographical element to this story about families and loss and forgiveness. And of course, sisters, an element that you handle with such grace and frankness. So can you tell us how difficult was it to write about and how did your own sister react to this book? It's a really good question. You know, it was, it was a topic that I wanted to write about my whole life. And I always felt like if I could write about it, even though this is fictionalized version of my actual family story, that I felt it was one of those stories that I wanted to tell because I felt like it would explain who I am in a really fundamental way. And it would also help me understand myself in a fundamental way. So I grew up in a family. I have a sister, Linda, who lives on the West Coast, and we had a sister who died when she was seven. And we didn't really know her because she didn't really live at home. She was institutionalized, she had bone disease. So we it's different than in the book where you know their sister is home, it's the three of them, it's their mom, who's taking care, you know, really um, focused on on the um, their sister who, who has a disability. So for us, it was very different. Everything happened in our family, happened sort of offstage to our parents. And then yeah. we kind of lived with the aftermath of that, which is grief. And so many people grow up in families like that for different reasons. Um, so for me, it was something that I always wanted to write about and fictionalize. And But it's a great question, you know, how, how did my sister, um, it was very... I was very careful because we had always been very different, but close. And she lived in California, you know, since college. Um, and we'd have had, like most siblings, we'd had a little rough spot about 10 years ago. And we had made the peace. We were in a really good place. And, and I treasured that. And the last thing I wanted to do was ruin it with anything. So, but I knew that I didn't want to write about the rough spot we'd had. Um, I wanted to write about our childhood. And so I did something that I don't normally do which I've learned to do, which is just to be direct and normal. And I, I wrote to her and I said, this is what I want to do. I want to write this book. 
about, and I want it to be about our childhood. It's be, be, and she sort of stopped me and she just said, I trust you, you know, write your wow. book. And that gave me so much freedom to know that whatever I was going to write about was going to be okay. And I didn't, I wanted her to know that I wasn't going to go to the icky stuff. Um, wow. that, that wasn't going to do anything. I, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to kind of, um, write about our family in a, in a, you know, a lot of the scenes in the book are fictionalized, but the emotional uh, pieces of it, the emotional truths, if you will, are really come from from our family. So it's very, um, it was, it was it, as much as a book like that can be fun, it was fun because it took so yeah. much um, that was real. And then I was able to dramatize it in different ways. It's so interesting because yeah. it does come across as, as very authentic. So it yeah. I, I'm not surprised to find that, you know, you did have this sort of similar experience of grief yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting too, to be able to take a piece of your, um, of your past and, and work through it, but while consciously staying away from something that would have created more problems. I, I think it, that was just so well handled. Good, good for you. That's awesome. Um, I mean, it was easy in the sense that it was tr- like what had happened was more recent. So it, yes. I didn't have to even go there, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it was good. Well, good for you for addressing it directly with yeah. your sister too, rather than worrying about it the whole time, which would have, which yeah. would have kind of overshadowed or, or cast a shadow on what you were trying to do with the book. That That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So Laura, I am interested in the glue that sort of seems to bind this story together, which are the poems that Joyce creates from posts on her neighborhood listserv, which is kind of like, um, that was yeah, just like next door. So amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing. Yeah. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about this? Where did this I, come I could talk from? about it all night i could talk oh, to you about it all, night. In fact, <laughs> I, all i want to do is talk to you about it um i have a Perfect. friend on facebook who is a professor and he would occasionally post these incredible um poems uh made from his listserv in baltimore wow. and he would just take a post and cut it into a poem and post it on facebook and i was like this is genius i just want to <laughs> eat these and so i, I and i said i you know, I'm like a frustrated publishing person. Age. I was like, this, this should be a book. Can you do it? He's like, well, I have a job. <clears throat> and clearly I, I didn't. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do something with these. And I told him that I was going to steal his idea. But basically I spent, you know, we're all writers. So we all know the joy of procrastination. And when you can go down a rabbit hole, like next door every single day <laughs> and look for posts about lost cats, turkeys, bad neighbors, everything. So I had like little files and topics that I was really obsessed with, which is basically everything because I get really obsessed with stuff like that. And I, I, when I was blocked, which is sort of all the time, I would just go, oh, to research. And I would go on next door and it was amazing. It was amazing. And I loved taking those posts and just cutting them into, and Small World is the fictional version of next door. Um, so Small World is the site. And, and Joyce spends a lot of time on that site and making these little poems. And there's something very comforting to her because she grew up in a family where there was this really big, sad thing happening. And when you go on next door or when she goes on small world, there are all these little problems. You know, where do I get the, where do I get the best pizza? Who's a good plumber? Who should, where's my cat? And they're like, you get the answer, like a nice neighbor, you know, there are helpers and she feels very comforted by that. And it's also just a place that she escapes to, that she really likes to escape to. I love that. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. And when I turned in the when I turned in the manuscript, I was all proud of myself because all the poems were verbatim from next door. And then my editor was like, Wow, I love the poems. They're so great. And 
And then I said, yeah, you know, they're absolutely verbatim from it. She did it. blanched and she was like, oh no, you can't do that. So oh, I, re- no. I rewrote all of them and used maybe a line that was oh, the what inspiration a for each one. Yeah. So she sticks yeah. with like the, the same, the same themes to each poem. Like yeah. I, okay. I would always, yeah, I would, there was always, there was always something in each one that I picked that was so moving to me. I mean, some of them are really funny. I mean, they're, you know, the avocados being stolen from Whole Foods. I love kind of the avocados. Right. And then there's like really moving ones where people are, you know, here from another country and no one says hello to them and they're lonely. And there are a lot of people uh, post on next door. Um, that was really sad. That are, they're sad, you know, they're sad. Yeah. They're lonely, yeah. these long kind of posts. So, um, so Joyce just loves being on Small World. My, my next door, most of the next door posts in my neighborhood are about sightings of coyotes. Wow. Yes, oh, that too. Yes, that too. Yes. Super Laura, weird. do you still spend a lot of time on next door yeah. or have you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I still get the daily email, you know, yep. several emails a day. So, yep. Oh, I can't look away. And why no, would you no. See, I'm like, delete, 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 delete. Oh, I, I don't even know if we have that. I guess we do. You do. Yep. Yeah. What? Now I need to join. I wonder how many people right now are like on their phone while they're watching, like going to subscribe. Looking at next door. Going to their next right. door. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't join because you'll, it'll, it's like a time, time. <laughs> Sean just said, this show is sponsored by Next Door. <laughs> <laughs> next Door, we're available. <laughs> the second half of the show will be sponsored by. But what I love is when, there's something in our life at, when we're stuck and there, it can be a song lyric. It can be a poem. It can be next door and it shifts a whole book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, I have something else I want to talk to you about, but I'm curious, did you ever think about making it a memoir? Like, did that cross your mind? Did you think about it? And if it did, what made you decide not to? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for years and years, I assumed that I would try to write it as a memoir. And I even went away to one of those residencies and I spent the whole time working on it as a memoir. And then I realized I didn't have enough of a story. We were just talking about Adrian Brodeur's wonderful memoir, Wild Game. And I just read an amazing memoir, which I hope to mention. At the, and uh, my story just didn't have that kind of arc. It was like, whatever happened in our family happened offstage. And, and it was kind of too quiet. There wasn't enough kind mm. of story to it. Um, and so I folded in the material that I had written, you know, and changed it and, and used the essence of what I had written as, a, as material that I thought might be memoir material. It just wasn't. So this was so, was such a great way to shift it because it covered everything I wanted to cover. Um, I got to research uh, where my sister had lived um, here in, in outside Boston. And I was able to just like create things and it was great and, and use a lot of what I had written. Cause who wants to waste the stuff we write? Nobody. You know, oh, want yeah, to use it, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it was a great, it, it, I felt really good that I was able to, to use that stuff. Yeah. So there was a 10 year gap, right? You, you talk freely about this, that there was this 10 year gap before you went back to fi- fiction. Yeah. You could call it a crisis in confidence, writer's block. It's something we all go through. How did you work through that? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, really abrupt. I had published my fourth novel and the reviews 
weren't very good. The book just kind of died on the vine. And through, you know, various, you know, my agent wasn't that thrilled by that point. She was kind of like, maybe you should take a break. And I had a lot going on at home. And I just kind of was like, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to write for a while. And that just turned into a, like a fear of writing and like yeah. just like a, a sort of a sick feeling about writing. And then I just had so much going on at home. We all know like you have to generate your own story. You have to come up with it. You have to sit down. And I, I couldn't do it. So years went by and then I started to ghostwrite because I really had to earn a living. And that was a relief, even though I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it was a relief because it was someone else's story. You know, you sit down yeah. or you get on the phone someone and you, there's their story and you have to problem solve in all the ways that we writers, you know, voice and, and all that and, and how to tell a story and how to structure it. But it was, there it was, I didn't have to make it up. I mean, yeah. kind of have to make, make it up a little, but um, you have to make, you don't have to make it up. And so it was a relief, but I really missed fiction. I really missed it. And so about, I think, you know, my last novel had been published in 2006 and I started to rent a therapist's office in Harvard Square by the hour, which sounds really creepy, but um, I couldn't afford an office, but I wanted to have like one day a week where I, I wasn't ghostwriting and I wasn't, you know, playing solitaire where I would go to this shrink's <laughs> office by the hour. I think I rented it Sunday afternoons and part of Monday. And I would just sit there. And some days I wrote and some days I didn't. But I had, in all the years that I, I was blogged, I did write a few things, but they just didn't go anywhere. Like I wrote a script. I know you're like, oh, did you have writer's block or not? Well, I sometimes I would try to write yeah. and then I would, I would like, nothing would happen. So I would feel yeah. really discouraged. It would get rejected everywhere. And then I'd be like, I'm not doing that again. But when I finally decided I want to give it one more try, I want to write one more novel, um, I used, and this is, you know, one of those writer lessons. It's like nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. You know, the, the material I, I have to get my power cord. I can't believe this. <laughs> I know. Isn't it crazy? Can you hear no me? No worries. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. Like, you're going to talk while oh, you're perfect. doing that because so, what you're saying is a little bit of what, you talk about on your website, which is you call writing coaching or talk therapy, which is fascinating because you rented a therapist's office, but you call writing talk therapy. So talk, yeah. 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 I mean, it, what happened was I, I was able to use this stuff I had, you know, worked on, but wasn't able to sell. And I, I started my novel, um, Separation Anxiety. And I thought most of the people I know in publishing haven't retired yet. I have one last shot. And it took me about four years to write that novel. And, and I was so thrilled to have another chance to, yeah. to be published. And it was a thrill. And to tell a story I really wanted to tell, which was about middle age, about, you know, how we are in middle age and what, you know, how sometimes we feel like it's all about loss, but it's not. And I just felt like I got this great do-over. And, you know, on my website, I had this thing where I do some consulting and I, I help other writers who are blocked um, and I, it's talk therapy. It's sort of like, you can't talk to your shrink about it because what is, what are your, what does a therapist really know about writing and publishing? Yeah. But we all get blocked and we all feel a, you know, a crisis of confidence. That was a perfect way of putting it at various times in our careers. And it, and it you can come at very late in your career. You can have 10 books, 15 books, seven books, and you have no confidence and you're totally blocked and you can't write. And I understand that. I, we think we all understand that. Yeah. We've all faced that at different times. So um, start small, you know, start really, really small when you have writer's block. 
Oh, I like that a lot. That's great advice. So, Laura, Melishman yeah. luck or the lack thereof is a recurring yeah. refrain throughout this book. Their family is shattered after the loss of their disabled sister, Eleanor. And yet somehow, no spoilers, you managed to offer us a glimmer of light or hope through this darkness. How, I was wondering the whole time I was reading the book and at the end, I thought, how is she, what's she going to do at the end here? How is she going to do this? How did you arrive at this conclusion? And did you know it was possible to offer us this glimmer? You know, that's such a great question. I was writing this book and I called it like I would get, I, I finally got the plane in the air in terms of just sort of getting everything up. And I kept saying to my friend, Ann Leary, I was like, I have to, I have to land the plane now. I have to land the plane. I had no idea where it was going. Like, I, you know, it's like the sisters are there and you've got the, pe the annoying people upstairs and you've got the sisters kind of arguing with each other about how to deal with the people upstairs and all that stuff is going on. And I had no idea, you know, where it was going to go. But um, I just want to tell stories now that are like that, that have a real sense of a glimmer of hope at the end, where it's not necessarily the perfect ending. I mean, if you read the book, it's not necessarily a super happy ending, nothing like that. But it's, you know, the sisters reach, you know, real true connection and they know why they're there. They know why. Lydia came home and they know why they're together and um, and they make a, a certain peace with their childhood. They understand it more. And I think those are the things now, you know, at my age, <laughs> my age, um, you know, th those are the wins that maybe when you're 30 don't seem like wins, but th they seem like that now. They seem really, really important now, especially yeah. after, you know, the last few years that those kinds of connections and um, oh, that sense of connection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. So uh, one more question for you, Laura. We know from your Q&A that you did in our newsletter that you decided to be a writer while you were a teenager. Was there one book that you read then that inspired you, that kind of pushed you on that journey? And and also, it, what inspires you now? Well, it's funny. I would say that I decided I would be a writer kind of because I couldn't do anything else. But um, <laughs> I think when I read in How high funny. school... <laughs> when I read um, Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner, I don't think I understood it. And I think if I tried to read it now, I still wouldn't understand it. I mean, it was very, I wasn't that smart. I couldn't, but I loved the language. I loved that it was just so wild and there were pages and pages without punctuation. I just was like, wow, I love this. And I also, like every everyone here, I'm sure too, loved Joan Didion and, and was handed Slouching Toward Bethlehem, you know, in high school. And I think those that combination, um, you know, I, I never had the confidence or I wasn't raised with that kind of confidence to think like, I'm going to just come out and be a writer from college. I mean, I, I worked in publishing in New York for 10 years. I was a publicist and I wrote in my spare time and, you know, such as it was. And, um, and I still felt like that was the only thing that I was really, you know, that I loved wow. and that I, I could do. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. What, what inspires you now? Or are there writers you read now that inspire you or who inspire you, who yeah. kind of keep you along this path? You know, I live in Cambridge. You know, I was a publicist for a long time. So when I stopped being a publicist a long, a long time ago, even though I still think like one, um, I was not interested in having writer friends because I was that was my job. And I didn't <laughs> want to really have like, why would I do that? 
And then I moved to Cambridge and all my friends now are writers. And one person I'm <laughs> gotten really happens. good friends with is, I know, is um, Alice Hoffman. She lives in my neighborhood. And, you know, that is someone who's like so inspiring because she's always writing, always thinking, always coming up with stories yeah. and has had a career that's lasted this long. I mean, decades. It's, yeah. it's incredible. You know, I'm in, I'm. I've been reading a lot of memoirs lately, and um, and that really inspires me too, besides the fiction. But I love I love it now. I love I feel like my writer's block is a little bit under control. I mean, I don't know how you guys think, but I th I don't think any of us ever feel like you sit down. And, you know, I always feel like okay, I can't. I don't know. How, wait, wait. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you never feel like yeah. you know exactly what you're doing because each book ever. is different. Yes. And you have to solve that you have to solve for x yeah. each time like how am i going to get from here to there um but now i'm a little bit better at it i can kind of like i've done it twice now i think of my career in two two batches so this batch okay. i think like i've done it twice and so now i'm starting a new book and i'm like it's okay i have no idea yeah. but i'll get there so you find it's a different, it yeah i you wish you hadn't it. said solve for x because that reminds me of algebra and <laughs> You know that meme math. online that says, name a book that made you cry? My <laughs> algebra book. My algebra. <laughs> I mean, I, I, get I apologize. <laughs> Traumatic <laughs> memories. Yeah. yeah. I hope well with fifth grade math about pushes me over the edge at this point. I'm like, graphs, mm -hmm. line, gra I mean. Stop. Fifth grade, third grade math. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> terrible. yeah. terrible. There's a reason we work with words. So yeah, yeah it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Laura, before you leave, will you yeah. tell the viewers where they can find you on social media and in person if you're touring? Yes, I'm on Instagram, just my regular name, Laura Zygmunt. I'm on Twitter, Laura Zygmunt, and Facebook as well. Um, all my regular name, no code, no coded. Um, and I am on a little tour. I did some appearances last week, and then I'm doing Wellesley Books soon um, on February 9th with Joanna Rakoff, who is one of my Cambridge buds. Um, and there's a few more appearances on my website at laurazygmunt.com. So I hope everybody will oh, check I'm out. doing Warwick's virtual oh, event uh, oh, with Mona Awad, my good friend um, and author of Bunny um, and All's Well. She and I are doing Warwick's virtually on Thursday night. Oh, how fantastic. Oh, fun. Yeah. Great. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us tonight to talk about Small World. We have just absolutely loved having you and we thank hope you. that you'll visit us again soon. I hope Bye, so. Laura. Thank you. Thank Bye. You. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Laura. All right, everyone. Don't worry. We're going to get to Mary Kay's cover reveal soon. And I should add that y'all will be the very first people to see it. Well, I mean, other than us, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but first, let's talk all things L. L. Casamano, which we all agreed on the pre-show, is the coolest <laughs> name. Um, we, we all want to have a character named El Casamano, is a USA Today bestselling author of both young adult and adult novels. The TV and film rights to Finley Donovan is killing it. It's such a great title, too. I know. I know. <laughs> has been optioned by 20th Century Studios, 20th Television Studios, with Marlene King of Pretty Little Liars adapting the book. In addition to writing novels... Elle's essays have appeared in the Huffington Post and Time. Elle lives with her husband and two sons in Virginia. 
Her new novel, Finley Donovan Jumps the Gun, also an amazing title, is set to be released on January 31st. But you can pre-order it now because January 31st is right around the corner. Sean, can you bring Elle on? Hi, Elle. Hi. Hi, Hello. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Okay, Elle. Now, we know this book, the third installment of the Finley series, series involves Russian mob bosses, a Citizens Police Academy, a simmering romance with a hot cop, <laughs> a not quite potty trained two-year-old, and an ex-husband who wants a do-over. But could you tell us what it's really about? Yeah, the, for me, the Finley Donovan series um, in itself is uh, a story of kind of rediscovery and um, a woman who has an opportunity, she doesn't see it as an opportunity, but this whole um, series is kind of a, a series of events that create opportunities for her to find herself after a traumatic divorce. And so she's um, at the beginning of the series, we find her uh, a newly divorced single mother of two small children whose life has been turned upside down. She's struggling in every aspect of her life. She's a um, a struggling romantic suspense novelist who's got a terrible case of writer's block and she's not making ends meet on her own. Um, of course, we have kids at a difficult age, one of them who has yet to potty train that causes, you know, um, its own set of complications in her life. Um, she is kind of just trying to get back on her feet when her life sort of implodes. But what what I love about this series is it's really about this woman who's finding herself again in a different stage of her life. And, you know, as, as women and mothers, we're constantly rediscovering and reinventing ourselves throughout our lives. And it was really fun for me to um, take this woman and see, watch her change and watch her struggle and watch her grow and watch her kind of redefine herself in her own terms and her own life. And so for me, that's really the heart of this story. And of course, this story also has a fantastic um, unconditional female friendship at its heart. And I love exploring that relationship and its impact on on both of these women and what it, what they do for each other, what they bring um, for each other in this friendship and, and what it means. And so yeah, for me, Vero is, yeah, Vero is literally her ride or die. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's such a great, they have such a great dynamic and they're so much fun to write and they inspire me, you know, as, as I'm kind of, you know, creating their story and it, and it's um, growing and it's becoming so much more than it was in, in the beginning. You know, they're really a found family now and, it's inspiring to watch them balance on each other and lean on each other and support each other in unexpected ways. I feel like female friendship isn't written about nearly as much as it should be because it's seriously what keeps us standing up sometimes. So, yeah. And it's a joy to be able to do it. Like I, I've, I love, I love exploring those positive relationships and, um, they, and they have something that's so special and unique. They're so different. There's an age gap. They're at very different points in their life. 
Um, they're, they struggle with very different things personality wise. They're, they're very, very different people. And yet they are the perfect counterbalance to each other. And, um, they lift each other up in the most beautiful ways. And it's just fun. It's just fun, you know, shovels and grave digging aside. It's just fun to see all of the, all of the other exciting okay, you ways. You just made everybody want to read it, shovel and grave <laughs> yes, digging. Yes, shovel, grave digging. Okay. Yes, I had you at hello. So L, I can't, I, I have to say your whole, whole name, L Casamano. Please. I want you to tell us about the riveting story of how you came up with the irrepressible Finley Donovan and why you may or may not be banned from Panera Bread (laughs) (laughs) or life. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who maybe are new to this series, um, the story of Finley Donovan is killing it. The start of the series kicks off. The action sort of kicks off in a Panera Bread when Finley is at a meeting with her literary agent. She's describing the plot of her very overdue romantic suspense novel and is overheard by an eavesdropping woman at the table beside them. And the woman mistakes the conversation, totally misconstrues the conversation and assumes that Finley is a killer for hire. (laughs) And attempts to hire Finley to deal with the woman's problem husband for an irresistible amount of money. And it, it poses real challenge because here we have Finley in dire financial straits at the beginning <laughs> of the story, struggling to hold on to her children. And so, of course, the question then becomes, you know, what would you do for $50,000? Um, and how horrible was this woman's husband? And all of the ethical questions that come into play. Well, um, about four years ago, I was actually in a very crowded Panera Bread with my beloved critique partners, Ashley Elston and Megan Miranda, and we were brainstorming the plot of a novel that I was working on, and it was a particularly violent scene that I was struggling with. The questions we were asking aloud in this very public setting were, who should die? How does it need to happen? Who cleans <laughs> Who cleans it up? Like these are things that we're actually like discussing because we, you know, we when you're in a creative mode with other creatives, and sometimes you forget that other people aren't having these kinds of conversations in public settings. And it got a little out of hand. And before you know it, the woman at the table beside us, she just blanched. And she set down her tray and she got up and she left. And we were laughing because we thought, oh, my gosh, what must she have thought? She must have come to the most horrible conclusions. And later that night, as we're talking over dinner, Ashley's cousin, we were joking and and laughing over wine. And Ashley's cousin asked, she said, wouldn't it have been funny if she assumed you were a contract killer? And it was like this light bulb moment where like I still remember that moment with such startling clarity because that was the moment that Finley Donovan, the whole premise came to me. Wow. And that night, that night in the elevator, we were on our way back to the hotel for the rest of our writing retreat, which we try to do like once a year. Um, we were on our way back to our room and in the hotel, I, you know, I said to them, I said, I have this wild idea for a story and I need one of you two to write it. 
And they said, oh, no, Al, this is your book. You're going to write it. I said, I can't write. Like, this is nothing like the books that I write. And they were the ones who, they were my Vero and my ride or die in that moment. And they said, no, you can totally do this. And so that was that night we put on our pajamas and we, we had the Twizzlers and the chocolate and the wine and the beer. And we started brainstorming. And before the end of the night, I had a rough character sketch <laughs> and a very rough premise for the first in the series for Finley Donovan is killing it. That is oh, amazing. Way to go, writer pal. This is really good to know. And I'm having this part of my book that I'm sort of really contemplating and mulling over right now. So if you guys could just all get together and we could sort of like hash this out. And it is kind of the we like. We writer's retreats. We've done two. Yeah, we need, we are overdue. We are. We are. Yeah. In the next one, we love to Disney, Kristen. Oh, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so, Elle, you started your writing career writing, writing YA, and in that category, you've written thriller and horror. And so, we'd love to hear how you made this leap over to writing women's fiction slash rom-com slash comic thrillers. We, we don't know how to categorize Finley because she's just all the things. She's all the things. The I love way. that. That's my favorite thing about this series is it's such a genre bender and, and it is all the things. And I think that's one thing I brought with me from my experience writing YA because in young adult, in the world of young adult, we don't see those genre lines painted quite so crisply. Um, you know, we have young adult shelves and all the books, whether they're you know, dystopian or thrillers or romance or fantasy are all kind of clumped together on the young adult shelf. And so we're not as restricted or boxed in, I think, by genre convention. And so a lot, almost all of my YA books were genre benders that would kind of blend different elements of different genre together. And so when I started writing Finley Donovan, I wasn't in the mindset of, I have to write this as a mystery with just following mystery convention. And because I wasn't thinking in those terms, I was just writing the book the way I felt like it needed to be written. And then of course came the struggle of, well, how do we sell it now? Because the adult market's very different and there are genre shelves that are tend to be a little bit more rigid. Um, And of course I wasn't thinking through those things at the time. And it turned out, what turned out to be a struggle at the beginning for the series ended up, I think, being its biggest strength. Because here we have this amazing book that is lots of different things. And it's, you know, it it's it appeals to so many different kinds of readers. And that's one of the things that I love about it. And I think one of the things that a lot of people, um, you know, have enjoyed about it is it's not just one kind of book for one kind of reader. It has a little something for everyone. But I think that was one of the things I brought with me for from writing those young adult books and tone they were so completely different like they were not finley's comedy really is it's they're they're funny they're darkly funny books but it was so different that it was so much more lighthearted and it was very quick and um kind of rumpy and fun and and um, so, so different in tone than the dark suspense and dark horror and dark fantasy that I've been writing for 10 years before. That's awesome. That's a very great answer. I love that. Okay. I'm going to, 
interrupt or interject yeah. because we get live questions and we have one from that I want to know. And it's from our pal, Hank Philippe Ryan, whose new book Hank. comes out. On, she's going to be a guest on our show on, in, on March oh my gosh. 1st. Have y'all gotten her the house guest package? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh. And that cover. It's amazing. Um, anyway, she has a question and she wants to know how you feel about the hashtag book faces your fans have made of the cover. And I was wondering the same thing. So. Oh, they're so much fun. The Finley fandom is wild. And one of the most joyous parts of writing this series for me, um, the readers are, uh, they're so engaged and they're so excited and so joyful. And they are they're very creative in their expressions of their love for the series. And we've seen the wildest things, especially Instagram. Instagram has kind of become Finley's home. Bookstagram has been um, the place where we see kind of most of the, the Finley fans sort of congregating and sharing their love. But they um, they recreate the covers. We've seen entire scene recreations. And we're getting them from all over the world. I think the farthest mm-hmm. one, I had a, a, a whole book club in Malawi that recreated um, a particular scene from the first book. Um, we've seen, um, you know, libraries and book clubs doing the, the book face covers where you kind of like make the cover fill in the rest of your body and um they're so much fun and then of course we did the the finley donovan chili cook-off to celebrate <laughs> the third book and we had lots of people post and share their recipes and their videos and they just get so into it it's it's amazing and inspiring and wonderful to see the way that fans have responded to the series in terms of almost wanting to participate and be part of this community of readers. And that to me is just, it's mind blowing. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful. That's great. So one of the the many things that make Finley different from your run of the mill fictional sleuth is that she's the single parent of two small kids. Tell us how you make those two colliding worlds believable. And, and are readers, are your readers convinced that you are Finley, that you are doing the crazy, are you, that you are moving headstones in the middle of the night and climbing down blankets out of a police academy as does everybody think oh that's that's l she does that yeah yeah you know on any given thursday night you can find me climbing out of a police academy window but uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 funny because i do t- tell people that finley's voice is very much my voice like there's the if there's we hear i think the biggest piece of feedback that i get is that Finley rings very relatable and very real. And I think that's because her voice is so deeply rooted in the elements that connect us. So it's my real voice as a mom. It's my real voice as a struggling writer most days, because we've all been through, you know, the writer's block and when a book isn't selling very well and all of these things that she struggles with. Um, So, and, and, you know, um, and just womanhood in general, I think, but those parts of my voice and Finley's voice we share. And so I think, you know, Finley and Vero go on some pretty wild adventures and they, they pull off some pretty 
ridiculous shenanigans in these books, very murdery shenanigans. Murdery shenanigans. But I think what makes it possible to ask the readers to to go on those adventures with her is because I've I hope I've anchored them, I've rooted them in a very real voice and a character who feels authentic and real on the page. And so, yes, she struggles with diapers. And yes, she struggles with, with you know, um, you know, kids giving themselves haircuts at, you know, at, in, in the morning, right before you're supposed to be leaving for an important work meeting. And, um, you know, what to do when the babysitter doesn't show up and you have places to be and people to bury. And there, <laughs> there are all of these, these, you know, normal everyday struggles that are fun to tangle up with some of the more ridiculous struggles and situations that Finley finds herself in. And what I found is that when I can braid those two together, it, it creates this amazing magic where readers are willing to suspend disbelief and go along for this amazing, fun, hilarious ride with Finley and Vero doing these ridiculous things and solving these incredible mysteries because they're they're riding along in a car that feels very real, so to speak. Mm, so. I love that. So That's so well put. That's awesome. It's a minivan, by the way. It's a minivan. That's what I love. She's not Cheerios. Yeah, she's not driving. She's not driving a Ferrari or a Tesla. She's driving a mom van. She's driving a mom van, and she's got mom and yeah, it's great. I love it, and I love as a mother. It's really fun to to see the mom get to be the heroine of the story. Yeah, you know. And I and I love that. I love I love giving her those moments to shine. She struggles, yeah. but she also shines. So, yeah. don't we all? Right? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what being that's yeah. what being a mom is all about. That's right. <laughs> so, um, I almost called you Finley. Oh my God! I you have words <laughs> in my head. L, you went from a successful career in real estate to writing. So, we would love to hear how you gained the courage to jump feet first into fiction. And, um, and we also hear that your mom played a role in your ability or plays a role in your ability to do what you do. Yes, absolutely. My mom gave me the courage and the kick in the butt. Um, and yeah, she's pretty incredible. We, I had joked for years, just joked off the cuff for years that I wasn't going to have a midlife crisis and buy a hot car, get a young boyfriend or do any of these kind of cliche things we do in our midlife crisis, that my midlife crisis was going to be, I was going to quit my job and write a novel. And I had joked for so long, and I guess moms in the way that moms just know had intuited and she knew that there, she saw a kernel of something there in that joke that rang true. And so I was getting to a point where I was, I was very good at my job. I was, I did real estate for a really long time. I was very good at it. And, and um, I was feeling very unfulfilled and I was struggling. You know, my kids were at a, at a you know, elementary school is a, a tough age. And um, I was kind of at this weird place in my life where I could kind of feel like I was a cusp of that crisis. Like, who am I? And I, and I just didn't know. And she said, she said, why don't you bring the kids to me for the summer and stay here and let me watch them and you write a book. Wow. And I said, 
I said, no, but who does that? I said, that's so, that would be the most selfish, irresponsible thing I could ever imagine doing. I said, I can't do that. Like at the time I was the breadwinner for the family and it felt, it felt so, it felt like it would be so selfish a decision to make. And she said, she said, just think about it. And I went home and I did think about it and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then that was all I could think about. And so um, I ended up taking a two month sabbatical that summer. I brought the kids down and we stayed with my parents. My mom took my kids every day at eight o'clock in the morning and brought them back from the pool and the beach and all the places she took them at five o'clock. And she cast me upstairs into this dark little chamber upstairs. And she's like, every day, she's like, you bring, bring me a chapter at the end of the day. And at five o'clock when she brought my kids home, exhausted and fed and ready for the night, she would wait at the bottom of the stairs for my chapter. And she would read each chapter as I read or as I wrote. And at the end of this, by the end of the summer, I had a complete manuscript. It was a very horrible, awful first draft, but I had the first draft of my first novel. Oh my gosh. What a mom. That's amazing. What a mom. She's amazing. Yeah. So, oh, I have yeah. to show. That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. And well, I'm very fortunate. Like, I know, like, it, it's very, I'm very lucky to have that kind of support. Yeah. Don't. I had a very supportive spouse who, like, every, at every turn was like, if this is what you want to do, like, let's, we'll find a way to do it. And, um, and so I had, I had support from a lot of different places and I think that's probably the only thing that gave me the courage and the physically the ability to do it, the time and the space that I needed to do it. That's so great. Yeah. And now you write about a mom who like changes, you know, who like yeah, is forging yeah. her own path. I love it. It's like a, a mom, a mom to mom moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's a magical circle. Okay. Elle, before we let you go, we want to know what kind of books are on your to be read stack. And are there any there that would surprise us? You know, I don't know. Like um, in terms of the surprise, I read the same way that I write across all genre. Like, I mean, like I'm, I hop around. I don't necessarily read in one, in one vein. And I love that. You know, I think, I think we learn a lot as writers when we, when we, read across genre lines too, but it also keeps things interesting. So everything that's on my TBR is always really, really different. Um, my TBR tends to be books that have not yet come out that are kind of way out the future because I get a lot of requests to read early, but um, I can give you a few of the ones I'm super excited about. Um, in frothy, rompy, fun, murdery books kind of along the veins of Finley Donovan. Um, I'm really excited about Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse yeah. Cusantanto. It's so fun. And um, so I just finished that one and it was absolutely, it was, it had so much heart. It had so much heart. It was really a great, great story. Um, in dark thrillers, really and dark thrillers that explore motherhood and womanhood and all the things that come with that. Keep your eyes open for cutting teeth by Chandler Baker. It is, it's, it's dark and it's, um, it's so incisive. And I just, I was so impressed, so impressed with this book. I mean, it just, as a mother, just like it, I've never felt so seen. It was just unbelievable. Um, in romance, I'm a huge fan of Christina Lauren and Yay, we love her. 
the true love experiment coming. I can't wait. So that's that's my um, that's on my my wish list of books to read for me, and um, and I'm really excited about Megan Miranda's new one coming out, The Only Survivors, which is coming Ooh, very yeah. soon. So um, also on my TBR. And one last one that is so fun if you love stories of female friendship and um, and exploring like cross-generational friendships, um, Smitten with the mostly true story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen. Oh, awesome. oh yeah. We love Colleen. So yeah. wonderful. It was the best story. I just, oh, I felt so hard for those characters. I talk about them at every turn. They're wonderful. So, so that's very original and unique as Colleen's books are and Colleen's going to be on the show. Um, hey. Yeah. Yeah. And I blurred that book. So I'm glad we share the same taste. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> well, Al, thank you so much for being with us tonight. This was such a pleasure. Can, can you tell our viewers where they can find you on social media and maybe out on the road? I don't know if you're going on a, an in-person tour or anything. I am. I have a massive tour coming up. I'm getting ready to leave town very soon. We've got stops everywhere. I'll be on the road for a really long time. So um, the best way to check is um, all my social media. You'll see my tour schedule. But I know I've got stops in Florida, South Carolina, Texas, California, Missouri, wow. uh, Virginia, and D.C. So we'll be like all over for a little bit. Um, social media, you can find me everywhere under El Cosimano. Instagram is a great place to find me. We have a lot of Finley fun at Instagram. So um, there's all, there are always Finley shenanigans going on over there. Um, Facebook is a great place to find me. And I also have a Twitter account. So all of them under El Cosimano. That's great. Great. Thanks, Elle. It's great to see you it's tonight. Wonderful. Thanks Thank you for having me. me. You're such Our a joy. Thank you. Thanks, Elle. Okay, you guys. That was fun, wasn't it? Two very different kinds. Awesome. Of, yeah, two very different kinds of books that we know that you're going to love. All right. So as promised here at long last is the cover of my super secret upcoming Christmas novella. Sean. Yes. So, so I have to point out, you have to point out all the hidden things in there because it's so beautiful. Well, thanks. Um, so Bright Lights, Big Christmas is going to be out in the world September 26, which is my little sister Patty's birthday. Oh, Patty. It's, yeah, my little baby sister Patty, who's her real sister, not me, her real sister. <laughs> I, I know, but I know her real sister, Patty, so I can say, yeah. hey, Patty, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we've had time with my baby sister, Patty. That's right. Yeah. We have. <laughs> so Bright Lights, Big Christmas will be out in the world September 26th. It's the story of Carrie Tolliver, who travels from her family's Christmas tree farm in the mountains of North Carolina. Now, it's the same town that the Santa suit was set in, but this is a whole new set of characters. She travels with with her brother from the mountains of North Carolina to the streets of Greenwich village where she'll live in a vintage camper. So you see that little vintage camper. It's a 15 foot uh, vintage Shasta camper. She lives with her brother for a month and she sells Christmas trees and tries to sell to make sense of her life. And also while she's doing that, maybe find a new love and a new career. So there it is. And so you can see the lights. You can see the name of the camper is Spammy because it looks like a canned ham. <laughs> ham. 
And you can see the Christmas tree strapped on top. And I'm so thrilled with this cover. So all I don't want much from y'all. I just need you all to hit that pre-order button. (laughs) Yeah, buy my book, damn it. To make sure you get your copy of Bright Lights Big Christmas on Pub Day. And if you do that, I will love you all more than chocolate and Diet Coke and finish Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. it's compelling. That's and compelling. it is a part of our box too. It is yeah, part of our right. book down. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's another way to pre-order, exactly. And I love looking at the cover. It has the right. if somebody's watching it on a smaller screen, it has the background of New York, like completely yeah. at point. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the <laughs> the there's just it's just such a beautiful. And it darling is. cover. Yeah. It's, perfect. Cover. Yep. it's yeah. really great. Okay. So between the four of us and our guests, your reading calendar for 2023 set. <laughs> so all four of us have novels coming out this year, and we are going to be together beyond these four squares in real life with each other for at <laughs> least five. We might add some more. Friends in Fiction live events. It all starts on April 26th in Columbus, Ohio. And then next up is May for the Friends in Fiction launch event for the Secret Book of Flora Lee on May 1st. And if you want to start buying tickets now, actually, y'all, the VIP part's already sold out. So if you want to get in, you need to hurry up and buy your tickets because then we have three more live events. One in June for Kristen's launch of the Paris daughter one in July for Christie's launch of summer of songbirds. And then in September for Mary Kay's on her sister's birthday, bright lights, <laughs> big Christmas. In fact, Kristen, I think you have something to tell us about your launch party. Yeah, you guys have been asking. Where I've, I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to be able to tell you all, but um, I am finally able to share this with you on Tuesday, June 6th, the, Paris, the day the Paris Daughter comes out. The Friends in Fiction event that you can come to that'll feature all four of us will be at the Thurber Arts Center in Huntsville, Alabama with so independent excited. bookstore. Yeah, we're so excited with independent bookstore Snail on the Wall and in conjunction with the Huntsville Library Foundation. So they don't have a ticketing link yet, but you can find out more at uh, this link that Sean just put on the screen, snailonthewall.com backslash event backslash friends dash fiction so we will let you know as soon as the tickets go on sale but we hope you will mark your calendars for june 6th in huntsville alabama when the four of us will all be together we can't wait to see you oh and also also speaking of i forgot i had more to say speaking of that while we are talking about fun book things for all four of us Mm -hmm. just a reminder that our new friends and fiction first edition subscription is available from the indie bookstore Booktown in Manasquan, New Jersey. And of course, it features signed first editions of each one of our 2023 hardcover releases and that fabulous Friends in Fiction kitchen towel that says, dinner can wait, it's time for Friends in Fiction. So you can order that box right now at booktown.com. Of course, that's Booktown with an E at the end. It is the best way to guarantee signed first edition books from all four of us. Yes. And you will not want to forget about our Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa. They host monthly author chats and have regular happy hours with our writer's block 
podcast host, Ron Blot. I stumble over that every time <laughs> I have to say it. And they keep everyone in the loop about suggested reads and upcoming releases. Join them on January 23rd when Zibby Owens will be on to discuss bookends. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Yes. And don't forget, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We're there live every week, just like we are in Facebook. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Okay, everybody, that's it for us tonight. Next Wednesday, tune in when we're going to be joined by Marie Benedict, who I just saw last night. You guys are not going to want to miss hearing her talk about the Medford affair. So join us and Eleanor Shearer for the after show. Have a great night. Good night, night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.